Um, Michael is a, uh, he teaches counseling at Alliance Theological Seminary over Nyack and also has a counseling practice of his own. And he is also a man who works with his hands. He has some carpentry background and he does pottery. And he has found a creative way to combine those things um, to talk about God and some of the things God does in our hearts and wants to do in our hearts. And um, when Ann and I saw it, I think we both agree it was a, it was a powerful presentation, and so we're very excited to have him here with us this morning, and we all want to be listening to what God wants to say to us. So I'm going to invite Michael up, and I'm going to give him the floor this morning. Morning. How's that? Can you? Howard. Hello? Testing. There we go. That's it. We're good. Okay. You see? Okay. Are we good? Now, there's a lesson in this. <laughs> there's a lesson in everything, and uh, life is filled with metaphors, and this certainly was a metaphor right here. Uh, it, there's, it's one thing to be plugged into something, it's something altogether different to be turned on, right? Is, is that right? So, when you, uh, when you come to Christ, when you surrender your heart to the Lord, ask Jesus into your, into your life, you, you get plugged into a source that is greater than your own. But friend, if you want to live the victorious life Christ died for you to have, friend, you've got to be turned on. You have got to be turned on to the Lord. And I pray that this morning you'll, uh, you'll get a little more turned on uh, than you were when you, when you arrived. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. It's, uh, it's good to be with you and to be able to uh, share this journey with you. We're going to take a journey together today, uh, a journey into uh, the potter's house. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah in chapter 18, in the first six verses there, it says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. And so Jeremiah writes, I went to the potter's house, and I watched him working at his wheel. But the pot he was fashioning from the clay was marred in his hands, and so the potter fashioned it into another pot, as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hands of the potter, so you are in my hands. And so we see in this passage, God, He sends Jeremiah on a journey to the potter's house. And as Jeremiah is sitting there watching the potter work with the clay, God begins to unfold for Jeremiah a deeper understanding into how God works in the lives of His people a lot like a potter working with their clay. Did you know the Bible makes reference in several places to God's relationship to His people as being similar to the relationship that a potter has to their clay? Did you know that? If we look in the earliest pages of Scripture in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, part of the creation account, there in verse 7, it says, And then God formed man from the dust of the ground. 
Now, we know that the book of Genesis is originally written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word that's used for formed here in verse 7, that word is yatsar, and it literally means to form. But as a potter, what I think is kind of exciting is that the Hebrew root word from which yatsar comes from is yotzer, and yotzer literally means a potter, someone who works with clay. And so a more literal translation of Genesis chapter 2 verse 7 would read, And then God did the work of a potter and formed man from the dust of the ground. That's cool, isn't it? And so we see, you can get excited. Yeah, go like this. Look religious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we see right here in this Genesis passage from God's very first contact with his human creation, it is in the context of a relationship between a potter and their clay. Well, with this understanding, what I, what I want to do is I'm going to take you through some of the processes a potter takes their clay through as they fashion their clay into a piece of earthenware. And as I do, I want to highlight for you some of the similar processes God takes us through as he fashions our lives into what the Bible refers to in 2 Timothy 2.21 as vessels of honor fit for the master's use. Now, I'm going to do several illustrations for you today with these balls of clay. And of course, this clay is a metaphor for our life. And so I want you to see your life represented in these different balls of clay. Now, when a potter is going to make something on their wheel, they cannot just dig the clay up out of the earth, put it on the wheel, and start working with it. It's not going to work. You see, the potter knows if the clay is going to be successful on the wheel, this clay has got to first be properly prepared for the wheel. Now, this process is known amongst potters as the wedging process, and it accomplishes three objectives, and I'm going to go over those with you as we're getting started. Now, in order to understand the first objective in preparing the clay, you've got to understand something about the structure of clay. Clay is made up of platelets of felspartic rock. That's all it is. Now, when the clay is first dug up out of the earth, all of the, all of the platelets that make up this ball of clay, they are facing in all different directions. Now, in order for the clay to be moldable when it's on the wheel, and in order for the clay to have the strength, the integrity, it's going to need to have to stand up under the stresses it's going to be put under when it's on the wheel. <clears throat> all of the platelets that make up this ball of clay, they all have to be oriented in the same direction. I call it being oriented in the potter's direction. That is in the direction the potter wants the clay to go. And that's the first objective in preparing the clay to be fashioned into something beautiful. You've got to get it oriented in the potter's direction. Now, the way this process looks, it looks like this. You, uh, you put your clay on your work surface, and then you, <clears throat> you press down on it, and you're like flattening it. And then you push it forward, and you try to stretch it out as far as you can get it. And then you roll it back on itself and you give it a twist and you drive it down into itself and through itself. And you're going to continue this process until the clay has been prepared. Now, I want you to notice what's starting to happen to this clay as I'm beginning to work with it. No, notice it's changing shape. It's taking on the shape of a cone. It's narrow at one end and it has some folds in it here. And notice if you can see it, it's developing a counterclockwise spiral to it. And you can see that spiraling taking place right here in the wide part of the clay. This is the direction I'm orienting the clay. I'm going to rework the entire structure of this clay, get it all oriented in this counterclockwise direction. Now, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I have my wheel set up to spin in a counterclockwise direction. So what's going to happen is I'm going to rework this clay, get it all oriented in this counterclockwise direction. I'm going to then pick it up. I'm going to put it on my wheel and look. 
it's going to continue to spin in a counterclockwise direction. Now, what would happen if the clay was oriented to the left, but the wheel was spinning to the right? What would happen if the clay and the potter weren't both moving in the same direction? What would happen is I would only be able to take this clay so far in its formation, and then the clay would not be able to handle the stress it was being put under on the wheel, and it would just fall, peel, peel apart and fall on the wheel. And so the first objective in preparing the clay to be fashioned into something beautiful is you've got to get the clay oriented in the potter's direction. Now, as, as you're watching me do this, I have a question for you, and I want you to call the answer out loud to me. And so you've got to be paying attention here. What's, here's the question. What's the primary thing you see me using here in order to move the clay in the direction I need it to go? What am I using? All right, I heard you say hands. <clears throat> and I'm certainly using my hands. But that's not the primary thing. Yeah, that's it. Give that person an A and a little smiley face. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, it's, it's pressure. See, the, the pressure, it, it's finding its expression through my hands. But did you know that pressure, it can find its expression through lots of different things, can't it? Pressure can find its expression through financial difficulties, through challenges in relationships, through stresses in marriage, through anxiety around parenting, through employment issues, through health concerns. Pressure finds its expression through lots of different things. In this case, it's finding it through my hands. You see, this is a very physical process. I'm pushing down on the clay. I'm driving it forward. I'm stretching it. I'm rolling it. I'm twisting it. This is a, this is a really painful process for this clay. I'm, I'm heaping affliction onto this clay right now. This is a really painful process for this clay. And if this clay could talk to me as I'm taking it through this process, what do you think it would be saying to me right about now? Yeah, that's exactly what it'd be saying. It'd be saying all those things. Ow, stop, Potter, please. Why is this happening? That hurts me. Hey, I didn't ask for this. Uh, I'm so confused, Potter. Why? Hey, I thought you loved me. Why, if, if you were really a loving Potter, you wouldn't be letting this happen to me. That's what it'd be saying because this is a really painful process for the clay. But if I, as the Potter... If I could talk to this clay in a way that the clay could understand me. Do you know what I would say to this clay in response to its cries of pain and protest? I would say, I would say, clay, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so I continue. And so the potter uses pressure to move the clay in the direction he needs it to go. Now when I think about our life, is there anything that can get your attention and orient you toward God more effectively than pressure. I see it all the time in the lives of people. They're too busy for God. They don't have time for God. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to read their Bible or have a devotional life. They don't have time to go to church. Church? Sunday? Hey, that's the only day I get to sleep in. That's the only day I get to be with my friends and family. They don't have time for church. And then one day, when they least expect it, a crisis strikes their life. And what's one of the first things out of their mouth? What is it? Oh, God. That's right. Oh, God. God, help. God, why? Why me? Oh, they got time to pray now. They got time to talk to God now. Hey, they might even find time to read their Bible. They might even find time to go to church. Pressure. It orients people toward God. 
But you know, this way of relating to God, it's nothing new. Actually, it's as old as the scriptures themselves. As a matter of fact, the psalmist writes about this very way of relating to God and captures this whole process I'm illustrating here in, in one verse of scripture. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119 in verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your words. That verse captures this whole thing I'm explaining to you here. And we see it revealed to us in that little phrase, but now. You see that phrase, but now? That's what English teachers call a conjunction because it ties two thoughts or two ideas together and there is an implication in this phrase. You see the but now, it implies that there was a but then. That's right. And if the psalmist is saying, but now I obey your words, the implication is, but then I didn't obey your words. And so something happened before the but now. And what was it? <clears throat> He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. In other words, when he had no affliction. So what the psalmist is basically saying here, friend, he's saying, when life was good, when life was good, I made some bad choices. And I said no to God's instruction for my life. And I went astray. I did my own thing, my own way. And as a result, I got hurt. I suffered affliction. Now, the psalmist is not clear what kind of affliction he suffered. I don't know if it was a physical affliction or an emotional affliction or a relationship affliction or a financial affliction or a marriage affliction or a parenting affliction or employment affliction or a health affliction. The psalmist isn't clear. But one thing he is clear with, and that is that he said no to God's instruction for his life. And as a result, he, he suffered affliction. Well, well, what happened as a result of that affliction? That's where the but now comes in. He said, but now I obey your words. In other words, he's saying he repented. And he came back to the Lord. Listen, it's never too late to come to the Lord. <clears throat> it's never too late to come to the Lord. Can you hear me? It's never too late to come to the Lord. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, it's too late. It's too late for me. I've, I've, I've done too much. I've gone too far. I'm too old. Whatever your excuses. But it is never too late to come to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist did. He came back to the Lord and he, he got his heart right with God and he learned the lessons God intended for him to learn through that affliction and there are always lessons. And he writes about a couple of them a little further in that psalm. If you read down verse 71 and, and then again verse 75, you'll see a couple of lessons the psalmist learned. And so the first objective in preparing the clay to be fashioned into something beautiful, you've got to get it oriented in the potter's direction and the potter will use pressure to do that. Now listen, the Bible's clear. God really does have a plan and a purpose that includes your life. You need to understand that your life was born, you were born on purpose for a purpose. You were born on purpose for a purpose. Your life was not an accident. It was not a mistake. It may have been a surprise to your parents. It might not have been in their day planner, but according to Psalm 139, God was choreographing your life long before your parents even knew each other. See, you were born on purpose for a purpose and that purpose involves more than you just working really hard so you can make lots of money and buy lots of things that everybody else is just going to be fighting over after you're dead. That's what happens. They're going to be fighting over it. God's plan for your life is bigger than that. And if you want to know what God's plan for your life is, friend, the first thing you need to do, you need to get yourself oriented in a God direction. And listen, I'm not talking about playing church. I'm not talking about just coming here once a week warm in a pew. I'm talking about it's time to get serious in your relationship with the Lord. 
Sometimes God allows a little pressure into our life in order to move us in that direction. Okay, the second objective in preparing the clay is it works the impurities out of the clay. Now you say, well, what kind of impurities does clay have? It has two kinds. It has earthen impurities, things the clay picks up from just living in the world. Then once those impurities have been removed, then the primary impurities become little pockets of air that get trapped inside the clay. And you think, well, hey, what harm could a little air do? Hey, what harm could a little air do if it was caught in your heart or in your brain? It's just a little air. It could be fatal to you. <clears throat> and so it is to clay. You see, anything that's in the clay that's not supposed to be there, it compromises the integrity of the clay. And if the clay is going to fail anywhere, if it's going to break or fall apart, it's going to fail in those areas where its integrity has been compromised. Now, not only that, but you see, sooner or later in this formation process, this clay has got to be heated up. <clears throat> Now, as the clay is heated up, any residual moisture that's in the clay, and there always is, it turns into vapor. Now, when moisture turns to vapor, it will expand over 1,100 times its size. Now, when the moisture leaves those platelets of clay, those platelets, they shrink, and they form a denser mass. So what happens here is the temperature increases in the kiln. The, the moisture turns to vapor. The vapor gets trapped in those air pockets. Now, the clay is shrinking, and the vapor is expanding, so it can't get out. Then as the pressure continues to go up, the vapor continues to try to expand, the pressure builds up, and ultimately that pot, it's going to explode. And it doesn't just pop. I mean, that thing explodes. It is unbelievable what one impurity in this clay can do. Listen, one contaminant in this clay, it can prevent this clay from ever reaching the fullest potential the potter's intending for it. Now, not only that, but because it takes so much energy to fire a kiln, when potters do what they call their first firing, they're going to pack that pottery in as tightly as they can get it because they want to get as much as they can out of all that energy. So they'll put pots inside of pots, pots on top of pots. They'll cram pots next to each other. And when one pot explodes, it'll often do collateral damage. And it'll hurt those pots that are near it. So the second objective in preparing the clay is you've got to work the impurities out of it. Now, when I think about our life, I think, well, what are the impurities in our life? Don't call them out. But, <laughs> but, but the Bible calls them sin. Sin contaminates your life. Sin will cause you to compromise your integrity. And if you're going to fail anywhere in your life, in your work, in your relationships, in your ministry, you're going to fail in those areas where your integrity has been compromised. Now, when I think, <clears throat> well, what does the potter use to work the impurities out of the clay? He uses that same pressure. Pressure brings the impurities in the clay to the surface so the potter can see them and remove them and work with the clay. Now, when I think about our lives, is there anything, is there anything that can bring your sin nature to the surface more effectively than pressure? Hey, how, how are you doing when you're late for an important meeting and you're stuck in traffic somewhere and somebody cuts you off? How's your sin nature? Come on, it's moments like that. You wish you didn't have that Jesus bumper sticker on your car, isn't it? Yeah. How you doing? How you doing when you're feeling overworked and underpaid and discriminated against and taken advantage of and not appreciated? How, how's your sin nature? How's your sin nature when you've got more bills than money to pay them and you've got the kids pulling at you and your partner's making unreasonable demands on you? How, how's your sin nature? How about you? You ever... Uh, you ever explode when you're under pressure? You ever do any collateral damage when you explode and you hurt those people who are near you? Now, 
even as there are two kinds of impurities that contaminate the clay, earthen impurities and pockets of air, so too the Bible implies that there are two kinds of sin that contaminate your life. And this sin will prevent you from ever reaching your fullest potential if you do not deal with it. The first kind of sin is what we call the sins of commission. These are the sins that you commit. You commit them against other people. You commit them against yourself. You commit them against God. Now, the remedy for the sins of commission, we see in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and He's just and He'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Then Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, 24, if you bring in your gift to the altar and there you remember your, your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and offer your gift. Now, think about it. Why would your brother have something against you? Good, sweet little old Christian you who never does anything wrong. Why would your brother have something against you? Your brother would have something against you because you did something to them. You sinned against them. You hurt them. You offended them. And Jesus is instructing us here, when you sin against your brother, you who's at the altar, you who thinks you're closer to God than the one who's not at the altar, you take the initiative and you're to go and make that right. You don't, you don't demonstrate for anyone your level of spiritual maturity by showing them how long you can outweigh them, waiting for them to come to you first. That does not demonstrate your level of spiritual maturity. It does demonstrate something about you, though, but it's not your level of spiritual maturity. We see the mark of spiritual maturity in Micah 6, 8. It's to do justly. That's you be fair. Be fair in all your dealings. It's to love mercy. That means you don't have to pay everybody back with your passive aggression when you don't get your way. And it is to walk humbly. The mark of spiritual maturity is you walk humbly. And you take the first step and you go clean that up. So the first kind of sin that contaminates your life are the sins you commit against other people. The second kind of sin that contaminates your life, it is the sins that other people commit against you. The sins that other people commit against you and you never deal with those sins or those people the way Jesus instructs you to. Oh, you're not going to forgive them. No, you're not going to forgive the people who hurt you. No, instead, you get mad at them. You get angry and you harden your heart toward them. And you say, I'm never going to trust that person again. I'm never going to trust anybody again. You can't trust people because they hurt you. And you, and you walk around with this, with this hard heart, with this anger, with this resentment, with this bitterness. Those are all the fruits of unforgiveness. So you walk around with this attitude of unforgiveness in your heart towards the way people hurt you. Whether they hurt you this morning on the way to church or whether they hurt you 30, 40, 50 years ago. You see, friend, you don't want... To do that, when you hold on to unforgiveness in your life, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, that there is a stronghold that gets a hold of your life and it begins to rob you of the joy and the victory and the peace in your heart and your mind that Jesus Christ died for you to have. You cannot go around holding on to unforgiveness in your heart and then out of the other side of your mouth going saying, well, I just love Jesus. I just want to serve the Lord. The Bible tells us in 1 John 4.20, how can you say that you love God who you cannot see, but you, you hate your brother who you can't see and who was made in the image of God? You, you can't do that. You say, well, hey, I'm going to forgive that person for what they did to me, and I still love Jesus. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm saying when you hold on to unforgiveness in your heart, because of the way people hurt you, whether recently or in the past. There's a stronghold that gets a hold of your life and it sucks the life out of you. It robs you of the joy and victory Christ died for you to have. 
You see, what happens, friend, when you hold on to, to unforgiveness in your heart because of the way someone did you wrong and say you love Jesus, what you do is you move your relationship with God. You move it from your heart up into your head. And now you maintain an intellectual relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with, with God is an academic one. And you say, oh God, I love you. Oh Lord, I just want to serve you. Just use my life in some way. Oh, you're at every church service. You're running from Bible study to Bible study. You got all the books. You bought all the tapes. And, and you've got all this fascinating biblical knowledge. You, you know, all, all this great spiritual information, but you've got no spiritual power. You're spiritually impotent. You're still controlled by your depression. You're ruled by your fears. You're paralyzed by your anxieties. You're still in bondage to your addictions. You can't control your anger. Your thought life's in the wrong place more times than it's in the right. You don't know how to have a decent relationship with another human being. Your marriage is empty of the joy and excitement it used to once have. And you're saying, well, I guess this Christian thing just isn't working for me. I mean, I thought once I asked Jesus into my heart, I'd have all this power for victorious living. And yet, I'm powerless to change anything in my life. That's because you're maintaining an intellectual relationship with God. This is what God meant when he spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 26, when he said, I'm going to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This was God talking to a covenant people whose hearts had grown hard because of sin. Did you know that you can have a covenant relationship with God and you could still have a heart of stone? See, if, if you want to get back into this transcendent place of living, friend, you have to heal from the way people have hurt you. You have to heal from the way people who, they've hurt you. And, and the vehicle God gives us for that, the first step in that process is you've got to forgive them. And you've got to walk in an attitude of forgiveness. Now, I'm going to tell you why it is so hard for people to forgive other people when they hurt, hurt them. I'm going to tell you, actually, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. I'm going to give you one now, and I'll give you another one later. The, the first reason is because you have been seduced by a lie. You have bought into and believed a lie. And this is a really excellent lie, I mean, like as, as far as lies are concerned, because it was created by the father of lies. And this lie was created to keep you in bondage to your past. And the lie goes something like this. The lie, the lie leads you to believe that if you forgive the people who've hurt you, then, then what you're really saying is that it doesn't bother you anymore. That you're past it now. You're over it. I mean, you're good with it. Uh, they, they don't, they don't, they're off the hook. They don't have to have any consequences. You're good. Hey, you could even be friends if that's the way you wanted to take your relationship. But friend, that is not what, that's not what forgiveness means. That's not what forgiveness is about. Listen, it will never be okay that somebody molested you. That will never be okay. It will never be okay that somebody raped you. That will never be okay. It'll never be okay that somebody beat you up. It'll never be okay that somebody compelled you to have an abortion against your will. It'll never be okay that somebody lied to you, stole your virtue, and then walked out of your life and left your life an emotional wreck. It'll never be okay that somebody gossiped about you and slandered you and maligned your character and tried to sabotage your success. It'll never be okay that somebody walked out of your life and never came back. It'll never be okay. You see, you see, when the Bible tells us when people sin against us in these ways and in other ways, the Bible is very clear. God is going to vindicate you. God is going to vindicate you. You see, God is a just God. He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's a God who vindicates the oppressed. And when people sin against you in these ways and in other ways, the Bible tells us God is going to vindicate you. 
But listen, he's going to vindicate you in his time and in his way, not yours. In the meantime, God makes forgiveness available to you as a way of releasing you from the power and the control that that person who hurt you is still holding over your life. You see, forgiveness is a powerful spiritual principle that is designed to set you free, not the people who hurt you. God is going to deal with them. And so the second objective, and you know what? I, you know, the devil is no fool. And, and he's developed this little saying that serves as a hook that gets into your spirit. It gets into your flesh. And it makes it so hard for people to make this paradigmatic shift in their head to understand that forgiveness is about releasing you, not the person who hurts you. And this little hook, it goes like this. I've heard people who were born again for decades come up to me and they say, well, you know, the Bible says you've got to forgive and forget. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. The Bible does not say that you are to forgive and forget. The only association with forgiveness and forgetting in the Bible is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34. And this is where God is talking through the prophet about a new covenant that he's going to bring to all people. And it's a covenant that we're walking in right now when you have a born-again relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that context, God says, I'm going to forgive them of their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Hallelujah. That's God talking about you and me. You see, physiologically... It's impossible to forget. You can't forgive and forget. God wired us this way. When you're, when you're a cortex, your brain is exposed to stimuli. That data gets, gets translated into a series of neural networks in your brain. And then when there's a, there's a stimuli, that neural pathway sends that information into your, into your frontal lobe, into your conscious memory. And then you recall a memory. This is why you can be 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, and you're sitting down one day and you're listening to the radio, an oldies song comes on and all of a sudden you are transported back to when you were just a little kid and you were with your friends and you remember everything that went on right there. You hadn't thought about that memory in decades. You thought, you thought, you forgot about it. But you see, you don't forget. When there's an environmental cue, it'll send that data through a neural pathway into your conscious mind. Physiologically, it's impossible to forget. So you can't forget. So for the Christian, the biblical injunction is not to forgive and forget. For the Christian, the biblical injunction is to forgive and let go. We forgive and let go. This is what Paul meant in Philippians 3.13 when he said, forgetting what lies behind me, I now strain towards what, what lies ahead. I press on toward the mark of the prize. He wasn't talking about forgetting at a cognitive level because if you read back from verse 4 up to verse 13, he just gives a whole rendition of his past. Pharisee the Pharisees, persecutor of the church. He didn't forget his past. He let it go, though. Another translation says, letting go of what lies behind me, I press on toward the mark of the prize. You cannot go forward with your life, friend. You cannot go to the next level with God, holding on to the pain from your past. You cannot go any further in your life than your wounds allow you to go. You hear me? You cannot go any further in your life than your wounds allow you to go. So you need to release them. So God can take you to the next level. So the second objective in preparing the clay is you've got to work the impurities out of the clay. Okay, the third, the third objective is it cultivates a relationship between the potter and the clay. And you think relationship? Yeah, you see, there's all different kinds of clay. It's not just clay. And if the potter is going to work effectively with the clay, they need to understand the characteristics of it. And the only way that happens... Is by, is by developing a relationship, spending time together. And Isaiah the prophet understood this and wrote about it in a beautiful way. Listen to what I, Isaiah said in Isaiah uh, chapter 64, verse 8. He said, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are 
the clay. You are the potter. We're all the work of your hands. He's talking about a relationship here. And listen to how he describes it. He begins by saying, yet, O Lord. So first he recognizes and acknowledges that God is the sovereign Lord. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. And God wants to be the Lord of your life. And, and that happens when you open up your heart. And you ask Jesus Christ into your life to forgive you of your sins, the sins of commission, and that he would be your Lord. And then by, by faith in God, his Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. And then he wants to go from that. He wants to become your, your, your father, your heavenly father. He wants to develop a deep love relationship with you. Now listen, God, God loves you. God wants to be your heavenly father. And God is nothing like your earthly father. Yeah, hallelujah. That's right. God is nothing like your earthly father. No matter how great of a guy your earthly father may have been, or no matter how terrible of a person your earthly father may have been, God is nothing like him. And the reason I'm saying this is, friend, I, I talk to so many people, and I've, and I've heard so many people say, you know, they know that God loves them, and, and they love God too, but they find it really hard to trust God with every area of their life. And when we look at that, and when we deconstruct that, and we get to the heart of it, we discover that the reason it's hard for them to trust God is because somewhere along the line, they were not able to trust their earthly father. And they think, well, now, of course, I couldn't trust my earthly father, can't trust my heavenly father, but God's nothing like your earthly father. Listen, God's never going to embarrass you in front of your friends. God's never going to shame you. God's never going to criticize you and make you feel like you can't ever do anything right. God's never going to call you fat, dumb, ugly, and stupid, tell you'll never amount to anything. You're never going to see God addicted to anything. God's never going to violate your body. You're never going to see God beat up your mother. You never have to walk around on eggshells with the Lord, wondering what kind of a mood he's in. God's never going to walk out of your life and never come back. God's nothing like your earthly father. You know, I'm saying this, you know, last year... I took this illustration into 33 churches in five different states and in two different locations. I had two people come up to me after the service, a middle-aged man in one and a middle-aged woman in the other. And they, and they both said the same thing. They said, when I was 12, when I was 15, I was an eyewitness. I, I saw my father murder my mother. I watched the police take him away. I lost my family that day. And I've grown up and I've clung to God out of desperation, but I was always afraid to trust Him because of what happened to my mother. I said, listen, God didn't do that to your mother. God's not going to kill your mother. God's not going to kill your mother. God's not going to kill your father. He's not going to kill your children. He's not going to kill your sister or your brother. God's not going to kill your marriage. God's not going to kill your parents' marriage. That's not God. The Bible tells us in John 3.16, for God so loved, He did what? He gave. See, God's a lover. And love gives. God doesn't want to take from you. The only thing God wants to take from you is your sin-stained life, your broken heart. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you'd have life and that it'd be a good life. But you know, he also said in that same verse, there is someone who's come to kill your mother. There is someone who's come to kill your father and your sister and your brother and your children and your marriage and your parents' marriage. But it's not God. It's, I said to these people, listen, you've been mad at the wrong father. You need to be mad at the father of lies, not the father of lights, who's the giver of everything that's good and perfect, because God's nothing like your earthly father. And then after you ask Jesus into your heart and he becomes your Lord, then he takes that relationship to the next level and he wants to be your, your heavenly father. Then he wants to be your potter. And he's going to take your life. He's going to take your broken life with all of your sin and all of your guilt and all of your shame all of your addictions, your out-of-control anger, 
your history of exploited and abusive relationships, God's going to take your life and He's going to fashion it into something that's beautiful, that goes beyond your wildest imaginings. But that's the order. Listen, can you see it? Yet, oh Lord, you're our Father. We're the clay, you're the potter. We're all the work of your hands. It's lordship first, relationship next, then comes the formationship. Lordship, relationship, formationship. Well, this clay is prepared. And so we're ready to put it on the wheel. So let's see if we can make something with it here on the wheel. Now, when the clay is on the wheel, the potter's got to take it through several stages on the wheel. The first thing, the first thing we've got to do <clears throat> is we've got to get this clay centered on the wheel. When the clay is in the center of the wheel, it's in the center of the potter's will. See, that's the only place I could work on it. Now, this clay here is not in the center. It's on the wheel, but what's it doing? It's just going around circles. That's all it's doing. <clears throat> I meet a lot of people like this. <laughs> I meet a lot of Christians like this. They're just going around circles with their life. They confuse activity with accomplishment. Oh, they're running from here, they're running to there, here and there, and they think just because they're running around, something actually is getting accomplished for the kingdom, but the only thing they're doing is they're just going around circles with their life. They're just getting dizzy. But, but, <clears throat> but they're dizzy for Jesus. Yes, and that's what's important. They're dizzy for Jesus. <laughs> Do we have anybody here this morning who's dizzy for Jesus? Let, let me take a look. From where I'm sitting, yeah, I can see at least two of you that look dizzy. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I appreciate your honesty. <clears throat> no, just kidding. But, but I think for a moment there, there was an awful lot of people in this room wondering who the other person was. Come on, come on. So, so the first thing we're going to do, hey, the first thing we're going to do is get some warm water. Who's going to get that for me? I need some warm water. Would you go get some warm water? I'm sorry, I forgot to get that. You've got to move faster than that. <laughs> in, my, in my excitement, I just forgot to get the water. There's a lesson there, isn't there? There she comes. Thank you. See, you brought a cup of cold water in his name. You're not going to lose your way. Okay, would you do me a favor, though? Would you get me a tall cup and I'll pour it in there because that's not going to be enough for me for a little later. So, so I'll, be, I'll begin. <clears throat> so the first thing we've got to do is we've got to get this clay in the center. And this is a, this is a physical process here. Now, as this clay goes around on this wheel, there is a force uh, that's exerted on this wheel. It's an invisible force. It's a centrifugal force. And it wants to take what is ever on this wheel and it wants to just throw it right off the wheel away from its relationship with the potter. <clears throat> and this clay cannot withstand this force in its own strength. It needs the help of the potter. Now, in the same way, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that this is a spiritual world that we live in. And there are spiritual forces in this world. We war not against flesh and blood. Yes, let me have that. Thanks. Thank you. 
we war not against flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces in this world. And these forces want to take you and pull you away from your relationship with the Lord. Now, just like this clay cannot stay on this wheel in its own strength, it needs the help of the potter, you cannot withstand these spiritual forces in your own, in your own strength. You need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need the active working of the third person of the Trinity in your life. Now that this clay is centered, this reminds me of God speaking to us through the psalmist, Psalm 46, verse 10, where God says, Be, be still and know that I'm God. What God is telling us here is that we come into a knowledge of God in the stillness that we do not come into when we're not still. This is why the spiritual discipline of meditation is so important, uh, that you have a quiet time, a devotional life, where you, where you just close yourself in with the Lord and, and you meditate on God's Word and what God's doing in your life. So God can reveal Himself to you in ways that He cannot when you're not still. This is why God doesn't say through the psalmist, uh, get busy and know that I'm God. Or get overcommitted and know that I'm God. Or burn out and know that I'm God. It's, it's be still. But now that this is still, it's ready for the next phase. And that is we're going we're gonna to open it. The way the potter opens the clay is you support the clay. And then you just take your fingers and plunge them right into the heart of the clay. And then you draw it open. Now this, for me, is... This, for me, is always a really intimate time between the potter and the clay because there's a real searching out that's going on here. You see, if there's something in here that's not supposed to be there, this is where I'm going to first encounter it on the wheel. This reminds me of the prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, where the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and guide me in the way everlasting. That's what's happening here. Now this clay is open. Let me show you. Where's your camera there? Can you see it? It's open. Here we go. Now, now that it's opened, it's ready for the next phase. And that is we're going to lift it. And the way that the potter lifts the clay, <clears throat> you apply pressure to the inside of the clay <clears throat> and the outside of the clay at the same time. And then you begin the process of drawing the clay upward. And this is a process. And like anything, a process takes time. This process here Reminds me of James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you. Pressure on the inside. And pressure on the outside. How about you? Have you ever had pressure on the inside of your life and the outside of your life at the same time? 
what do you do when that happens? Do you, uh, do you grumble? Do you complain? Do you whine? Do you make life miserable for everyone around you? Or do you allow God to lift the Christ-like character out in your life so other people can see Christ in you, your hope of glory? I like that uh, verse in First Peter chapter five verse six. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and He will lift you in due season. That's what's happening here. This clay is coming under the Potter's mighty hand. Now that it's lifted, it's ready for the next phase. And that is we're going to do an internal work on this clay now. Now, you'll see with my outside hand, what I'm doing is I'm steadying the clay, steadying it and guiding it. But what I want you to see here is that all of the work is happening on the inside. And we see the work that's happening on the inside by the way it's reflected on the outside. Now, this is exactly how God works. God works from the inside out. Religion works from the outside in. Religion says you do this and you do that and you don't do this, you don't do that and then you're going to be something you're not. And neither are you capable of being which is holy and righteous. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 that it is by grace we are saved through faith and this is not of yourselves, it's not of works. It's a gift from God so that no one can boast. This is why we ask Jesus into our life. His Holy Spirit comes into our life, like my hand going into this pot and does the transforming work from the inside out.
a vessel of honor right here. Amen. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate your, your clapping there. Good to know you're still with me. <clears throat> uh, I'm curious, though. Uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, what you're clapping for. I mean, the reason I ask that is when <clears throat> the pastor asked me to come up here, nobody clapped for me. And, and then when I said I'm going to do some illustrations with these balls of clay, nobody broke out into spontaneous applause. But I make this pot, everybody claps. Well, the reason you're clapping is because you understand something now you didn't understand before. You see something now you didn't see before. You see, you saw this clay in its, in its raw form, just dug out of the earth. See, it didn't have to have its act together. It didn't have to be all cleaned up. It just had to come into a relationship with the potter. And because it came into that relationship and it, and it yielded, it surrendered to what the potter was doing, to the, to the pushing, the stretching, the twisting, the centering, the opening, the lifting, the trimming, because it did all those things, the potter was able to draw out from the clay something you could not see before, but you see it now and you got excited and that was its potential. You see, you saw me draw the potential out and you got excited. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. When you say yes to God, all of heaven does for you what you just did for that pot because now heaven sees potential for a kingdom work in your life that it didn't see before. Now, now the question is how come all of heaven can get excited about the potential it sees in your life but you can't? How come you can't? Now you see, although we can see this pot's potential from a functional uh, perspective, this pot is of no more functional use to me than this clay here. You see, I can't, I can't use that pot any more than I can use this. All we can do is see its potential. But you know what? I didn't need to see that to see its potential. I look at this and I see its potential right here because I'm the potter. I can see things that you can't. See, I'm looking at this thing right now. Oh, I can see things you can't. You know what I'm seeing as I look at this? You know what I see? I'll tell you what. I'm an Italian boy. And when I look at this, I see me a big bowl of pasta with spicy shrimp and garlic and olives and basil from my garden. Mamma mia, I can taste it. Come on, give me a witness for that. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, I can taste it. But you see, although, although we can see, we can see its potential. I can't, if I want to use that potential for what it's been destined, I have to take it through a few more stages. The first thing I have to do is I have to set its potential. And, and the way the potter sets the potential, I have to take that pot now and I must put it into the fire. It's the only way. And this is not a little fire. In order to set this clay mix, I'm going to have to heat this thing up to 1,800 degrees. That's hot. Imagine cooking your Sunday dinner today in 1,800 degrees. You're not going to have any dinner left. You might not even have a pot that you cooked it in. <laughs> to, to, to put that in perspective, I was, I was talking to the director of a funeral home one day uh, who worked with, they had a crematorium. And, and you, you want to have an exciting conversation, friend? <laughs> Don't talk to the director of a funeral home. That conversation will be pretty dead. Huh? Come on, I had to say it. It just was right there. <laughs> so, but but I, was, I was curious because my father was cremated and, and I, I asked him, how hot? How hot do you get those crematoriums, those ovens, in order to take an entire lifetime and reduce it to a little five-pound plastic bag of ash? 
how hot? He said 1,800 degrees. And I thought, wow, that's the temperature I fire my pots to the first time. And I was meditating on that. And Jesus said, you know, if any man's going to save his life, he's got to what? He's got to lose it. See, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you've got to die to yourself. If you want to go forward in your walk with the Lord, you've got, to, you've got to put to death those carnal lusts and desires of yours and say yes to God. And when that thing came out of the fire, it, it looks like this. All these pots have been fired to 1,800 degrees. This is all from the same clay mix. See, it's changed color. I like to think of it as it reflects the Shekinah glory of God now. The fire has a way of purifying. And not only that, but look. Ouch. That's hard. This pot could never handle that kind of stress impact. It would just collapse. It's hard. So the fire, it gives it some strength. Not only that, but listen. Can you hear that? That's a note. God made that note. I like to think of it now that this pot, it's got a song. It's got a song. Hear that? Now listen, this is what I've, I've observed. When you go through the fire with your, with your life, not if... Not if, when. That's a promise from God in Isaiah 43, too. And I'm looking over here trying to get a sense of the mean age. I think you, you don't make it this far in life, friend, without having been beaten up by life, without having been through the fire. How many have been through the fire? I've been through the fire. Come on, be honest. A little honesty is good, good for the soul. Yeah, I've been... I've, when you go through the fire, stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay faithful to God. Don't get angry at God. Don't shake your fist at God. You stay faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you come out of the other end of that thing, listen, your life is going to have a song. Your life's going to have a song. It's going to be a song of praise. It's going to be a song of thanksgiving. It'll be a song of deliverance. It'll be a song of healing. It'll be a song of provision. Your life is going to have a song. Hallelujah. But here's the deal. You want the song for your life? You got to go through the fire to get it. That's the only way. Now, now you see on this pot here, I, I made a little squiggly line on it. I don't know if you can see it. Maybe our, our camera guy will zoom in on that so you can see that squiggly line. Hey, nice job. See that squiggly line? Yeah, this pot has it too. There you go. See it? See that? See that? Here. Where is that? No, sorry. I just have <laughs> You don't have to grow that stuff. Come on. You got laugh, Laughter works good like a medicine, doesn't it? So, so... <laughs> <laughs> See, potters call that surface removal. But what I've done is I've scarred the pot. I've scarred it. See, I did it in this pot too. And you see, this is now a permanent part of this pot. I can't take this thing off. Another potter is going to pick this up. It's going to look at it. It's going to tell them a story about their history. See, I can hide this scarring. I just got to cover it with glaze. And then I take it out. After the glaze frying, you won't even see it. But from the potter's perspective, why scar the pot? If you're only going to hide it. You see, what's going to happen is now that this has come through the fire, it's eligible for the next phase. That's we're going to glaze it. And when this goes through the, the glaze firing, the glaze, it breaks over this scarring here and it accentuates this pot. And it gives it a sense of, of movement and dynamic that other pots don't have. It'll, it'll look something like this, depending on the glaze you use. See, I use, this is a chino glaze, an earth tone chino. And do you know why I use this earth tone chino? It's because I like it. That's why. So, because that's why I use it. So, so Potter can do that. So, so, well, and and what'll happen? I guarantee this will happen. If I just left that there, and everybody in here was out, nobody was in the sanctuary except you. You would come. I guarantee it's a human phenomenon. You'd come walking over to this thing, and you'd look at it. Then you'd look around, make sure nobody was looking. Then you'd you'd pick this thing up. First thing you're going to do is you're going to touch this. 
You're going to touch this. You don't outgrow it. You got to touch, touch, touch everything. It's just you think it's just your kids, but you too. You, you, you will touch this. There's something about the scarring in the pot that makes people want to connect with it. I don't understand it. It just draws them. Now, now listen. If, if you, if you will give those things that have scarred your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you'll give those things that have left their indelible mark in your soul, stop trying to cover them up with the glazes that this world has to give. Pretend they're not there. If you would just release that to the Lord, and He's going to put His healing balm on your life. And, and I don't know how He does it. It's part of the mystery of the cross, but it's part of the great exchange. Isaiah talks about in 61.3, God's going to give you beauty for your ashes. He's going to give you the oil of joy for your mourning. He's going to give you the garment of praise for your spirit of heaviness. You know what your spirit of heaviness is? That's your depression. God's going to lift that thing. And then God is going to bring people into your life that are going to want to connect with you around your pain, around your brokenness. Why? So you can commiserate together? No. So you can lead them into a relationship with the potter. So they can find healing for their scarred life, just like you found for yours. Let me, uh, let me put this somewhere so it doesn't fall. Because if it falls and breaks, I'm going to be coming to the pastor for marriage counseling. That's what's going to happen. So, my wife wants me to bring that home. So, I want to show you. I want to show you uh, another another illustration. See this clay here. This is the same clay. This is all cut out of the same lump of clay. But I let this clay dry out. It's got a little bit of moisture in it. See, clay has to have a certain level of moisture in it for it to be for it to be moldable. And you've been watching me here putting more water on the clay. The water is very symbolic in this illustration. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, he explains how Christ sanctifies the church and says he sanctifies her by washing her with water and the Word. So the water represents the Word of God. As you keep the Word of God washing over your life by reading your Bible, by meditating on the Scripture, by coming under spiritual authority, by getting to church and listening to good teaching, God molds your life. He, when He asks you to move somewhere, you can hear Him. This represents the person who has neglected the Word of God. They're not, they're not reading their, their Bible. They're not meditating on the Word of God. They're not going to come under spiritual authority. Oh, you're not going to tell them what to do. Oh, no, no. It's the gospel according to them. This is, this is the person that the Bible refers to as hard-hearted, uh, stiff-necked, prideful, arrogant. So what can the potter do with clay that has dried out? The first thing we got to do is we got to get this thing sent. This clay is talking to me right now. And it's saying, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to do it. I, I know how to do this. I've been clay longer than you. It's like, I'm not going to go in there. I'll do it my way. I'll do it my way. Whoa. <clears throat> Two years ago, I was doing this in the church in Long Island. And I got so into it, I just forgot other people were in the room. And I was wrestling with this thing. All of a sudden, it happened so fast. This thing flew off the wheel. And it just kind of flew out there. Almost took the deaconess out in the front row. It was just, oh my, how embarrassing. But it was a great lesson. <clears throat> so what can the potter do with clay that's dried out? Actually, I can't do anything with it. I can't do anything with it. So what does that mean for this clay? Does that mean that this clay is hopeless? No, it's not hopeless. It's just hard. And you see, I love this clay too much. To just ignore it and just to just not use it 
I, I love it too much. I want to redeem it. I want to bring it back into usefulness. And do you know why I love this clay so much, even though it's so hard, even though it's not going to listen to me? You know why I love it so much? Because I paid a price for it. This clay cost me something. And I'm not going to ignore it simply because it's hard. I'm going to bring it back into service. And so, you know, in order for me to do that, I've got to take it through a few more stages. The first thing I have to do is I have to let it dry out completely. You see, I can't force more water into this. Laws of physics prevent that. So in order for this to be receptive to water now, it's got to dry out completely. Potters call it bone dry because it looks like bone marrow. And what I'll do is I'll, go, I'll put this on a little shelf in my shop. I'll put it right up on the shelf. I'm not going to put it on the piano. I saw I saw it go like that. I did that on purpose. So just make sure you're paying attention. <clears throat> you should have seen her. So I bet her blood pressure went up. No. So, so I'm going to put this on a shelf right in my shop. And I'm going to go over and I'm going to just start making some other pots. And I am sure, while that clay is sitting on that shelf, drying out, watching me make other things, it's probably thinking to itself, that potter doesn't love me anymore. That potter doesn't care about me. I see doing all these other things with this other clay, but it's just ignoring me. No, no, I'm not ignoring it. I love it. But you see, it's taught me. It's not going to listen to me. And the clay doesn't say to the potter, well, why are you doing it this way? And so <clears throat> I've got to take it through this next stage. And when you know what happens to clay when it dries out? Clay gets very, very brittle. Here's a piece of dried out clay right here. That's it. Brittle. And then I, the potter, I, the potter, I'm going to take this hard clay and I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. And you know how I'm going to break it? I'll find something. <laughs> and I'm not going to just break it in half. I'm going to break it in lots of pieces because the more pieces it's broken into, the more receptive it'll be to the next phase. And then I'm going to pick up all these broken pieces and I'm going to put them in a basin. And I'm going to pour water over that basin and that, that water is going to start, the clay is going to absorb that water and it's going to start breaking that, that hard clay down just like the Word of God can break down the hardest heart of the hardest man if he'll open his heart up to it. I know because I was one of them. And then when this just gets all mucky, I'll take the water off, pour it out on a plaster slab, and the plaster is going to start absorbing that, uh, that water. And then uh, before you know it, uh, I'll be putting my hand in it. And before you know it, I'll have me a ball of clay like this that's moist and malleable and ready to go onto the wheel. Here, let's look at this illustration. This is clay that loves the potter, and it wants to be molded into something beautiful. Here, see this? This is a little pebble I picked up in my yard. A little pebble. This is actually going to be for sale after the service if you're interested. <laughs> so I, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put it right into the heart of this clay. See, I'm contaminating this clay. This, this pebble, it, it represents a wound in the heart of this clay. Maybe this clay was molested when it was little. Maybe it was raped or maybe it was the victim of domestic violence or living with an alcoholic and it's been wounded deep in its heart, deep in its very soul. Maybe, maybe it's been abandoned. Maybe that's the abandonment wound. What can the potter do? What can the potter do with clay that wants to hold on to its wound? It won't give it to the potter. Let me ask you a question from where you're seated. 
Can you see the wound that's buried deep in the heart of this clay? Can you see it from where you're sitting? No. I want you to do me a favor. Turn and look at the person on your left. Turn and look at them. Just check them out a little bit. Turn and look to the person on your right. Check them out a little bit. Now look back here at me. Were you able to see the wound that was buried deep in their heart? No, no, you weren't, were you? But I want to tell you, friend, it is there. It's there. You can't live in a fallen world and make it this far without it being there. It's there. So what can the potter do? Well, the clay says, potter, I, I love you. Use me. Make my life count. So the potter says, okay. So it could be centered, but the potter's got to open the clay. Ouch. Ow. Ow, that really hurts. As this, as this is going around, it's, it's, it's hitting my, my hand, my, my thumb here, and it, and it, it really hurts me. And you, you say, well, what are you doing it for? Because I'm trying to illustrate something for you. Here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that when, as Christians, when we hold on to our pain, pain Jesus Christ died to set us free from, when we choose to hold on to that instead of surrendering it to the Lord, I think it hurts the heart of God, just like this hurts my, my finger as it's going around in here. And what happens, I don't know if you could see this here, starting to come out here. Let me just help it along. Save my finger. Can you see that? See, remember the potter uses pressure to mold the clay. And so when you come under pressure, these impurities in your life come to the surface. Now, most of the maladaptive behaviors we have those things that we do that are not productive for our life, our addictions, our, our bad relationships, uh, our inability to manage our anger, these, those are just symptoms of wounds you've never healed from. And what happens if you don't heal from your wounds? You do two things. You organize your life around them. And then the second thing you do is you end up recreating them just in a different context. And so what happens is this, this person here... Uh, is coming under pressure because God is trying to mold their life. And when that happens, this, this is when you relapse into your addiction, right here. This is when you lose your ability to control your anger and do something to sabotage your, your relationships. Uh, this, is, this is where uh, that problem issue in your life, you start struggling with it. Well, what, what do most Christians do when this starts to happen? What do most Christians do? My observation is they do this. Yeah, they hide it. They hide it. And then what they do is, is they put on what I call their Christian happy face. Here it is right here. You've got to get that on the camera. There, oh, there it is. There it is. That's the Christian happy face. That's the face you see most Christians wearing on any Sunday morning that makes you feel like everybody else in the church has their act together except you. And you walk up to them and say, how you doing? They say, I'm doing good. Oh, God is so good, isn't he? You say, oh, good. He's good all the time. God's good all the time. All the time, God is good. Oh, blessings on my 10,000 besides. Walking into victory. Oh, I got the... See, you got all the talk down. You got all the church talk down. But inside, you're dying. You're dying. And you're thinking, nobody cares about me here. Nobody cares about me. They ask me how I'm doing. They don't stand around long enough for me to even answer. They don't care. And you start to wonder if even God cares. And so, so then what happens? In order to anesthetize this pain, what you do is, is you get religious. Oh yeah, you start getting spiritual. You're going to teach a Sunday school. Or you're going to be on the worship team or be an altar worker. You're going to do something uh, religious to distract yourself, to anesthetize yourself from this thing. 
And the distraction, hey, it works. But it doesn't heal. It doesn't remove the pain. It just distracts you. And then after a while, you're used to that. And then the issue, you start struggling with it again. Now, what I want you to see, this, this clay can't absorb that pebble. So in order to accommodate it, it organizes around it. And when it does that, it throws the balance of the cylinder off. And so the cylinder gets, gets out of balance, kind of lopsided. And you begin to feel like your life is out of balance. And what you do is you just say, well, I guess this is the way life is, and you just learn to deal with it. And then you're just trying to go through life best you can, serve the Lord, have a family, enjoy life, but you've got this thing. Now, what I want you to see here is I can't lift this any higher than the wound in here is allowing me to lift it. And it's just like God in your life. You cannot go any further in your life than your wounds allow you to go. This is why Jesus made provision for you to lay them down. And so you're going through life just trying to do life. And then one day, one day, when you least expect it, your life comes crashing down around you. And where... Where does it break? You just got to follow this here. Here it is. And so you sit here in your broken mess. And you say, God, why? Why, God? Why me? Does your life ever look like this? My life has looked like this. My life has looked like this more than one time. And in your brokenness, you finally surrender. And you stop trying to control everybody and everything in your life. And you cast yourself helplessly to the Lord. And God, who is a very present help, who has never left you, He's just waited. He takes that thing out of your life. And then what He does is He picks you up. God picks you up in all of your brokenness, with all of your shame, with all of your guilt, with all of your addictions, and He brings you over to His special place. And then He, he dries your tears. And then He begins to bring you through a process. A process of getting you oriented in a God direction. A process of working out more of the impurities in your life. A process of reestablishing that love relationship with, with Himself. This is a love process here, friend. This is a redemptive process. You see, for us, when, we, when our life comes crashing down like that, our attitude is, oh God, I learned my lesson. I mean, can't we just pick up where we left off? But the potter can't do that. I've tried it. You see, what happens is in order to accommodate this pebble, everything has to shift. And it creates a shift in every aspect of this clay. So it has to be brought back into alignment. And look, it's just like sin in your life. Don't think you can compartmentalize your sin. 
You can't. You might think you can, but it affects every other area of your life. And then what happens? When the potter believes the clay is ready, the potter's going to take the clay and bring it back over to the wheel. But he takes all of it. This was the clay that was broken. And he takes all of it. And he begins to bring it through a process. A process of teaching it to be still. You're not in a hurry now. And then he opens you and he searches you out. And then he lifts you. And he lifts all of you. You're not in a hurry now. You understand that God is not slow concerning His promise, but He's patient towards you because there's things that have to be worked out. you. He lifts the broken clay. And then then he does an internal work. Potters call this part of the process here giving the pot a form and a function. I like to think of it as giving the pot a calling. See, God is going to take your broken life and He'll bring it back into alignment. He'll center it. He'll lift your life and He'll give you a calling.
after he gives your life a calling, he's then going to do something with you that he really he wasn't able to do before because because you weren't you weren't ready from where you were at, and that is he's going to call you and then he's going to equip you. He's going to equip you in a way that you were not equipped before. And why, why does he do this? Why does he do this? He does this so you can now take from your broken life and you can pour from your broken life, you can pour into the life of another broken person. So you can bring them into a relationship with the potter so they can find healing for their brokenness even as you have found for yours. Now I want to I close here with a story. And the story is told of an old Chinese woman who lived on a little farm on the outskirts of town. And this farm was known for its beauty. She had beautiful flowers and beautiful flower-lined trails. And the birds of the air would come and the butterflies would come and people from the village would come. They'd walk along her flower-lined trails and many would find God as they sat in her gardens. Well, every day, twice a day, uh, she would go out and there in the front of her, her, her yard she had two clay water pots that were tied to either end of a long pole. And she'd put that pole across her shoulders and she'd walk down to the river near her house and she'd fill those pots up with water and carry them back to the farm and empty them into a, a larger clay cistern from which she would draw water throughout the course of the day. Well, the pot on the right, it was a fairly new pot and it had the look and the feel and the smell of new clay. It even stood there at sharp attention. Even the water it carried just looked so clear and refreshing. And the, and the pot on the left, it was an old pot that was mottled and chipped from having endured the storms of life. It even had a crack that went from the top of it down to about the halfway point. And every day when she would return to the farm and empty the contents into the cistern, the new pot always had a full pot of water, but, but the old broken pot, it never had a full pot of water. And the old broken pot felt really bad about this. Well, this went on for days and weeks and months. And finally, one night, when she emptied its contents, the last of it, the old pot couldn't take it any longer. And it spoke to the woman. And it said, Master, I'm, I'm broken. And I'm so ashamed. I, I can never bring you a full pot of water. I, I see that other pot over there. It's so perfect. It, it's, it always brings you a full pot of water. Even the water it carries looks so much clearer and more refreshing than the water I carry. And I can never carry you a full pot of water because I'm broken and I'm so ashamed. And the old woman looked at the pot and she said, I know that you are broken. And because I know you are broken, I have planted flowers all along your side of the path. And the reason we have so many beautiful flowers on our farm, the reason the birds of the air come and the butterflies come, the reason people come and many find God, really, it is because of your brokenness. And you see, friend, that's really the message of the cross. That's the message of a journey to the potter's house. You see, God knows you are broken. God knows you're broken. And He wants you to stop pretending that you're not. You need to heal. 
And the first step in that process is forgiveness. Now, I'm going to tell you another reason. I said I'd give you two reasons why it's so hard to forgive. Here's the second reason. The first reason you bought into a lie. The second reason is it's so hard to forgive because forgiveness is not a natural process. Forgiveness is not a natural process. You know what the natural process is when somebody hurts you? It's you hurt them back. That's the natural process. The saying goes, hurt people hurt people. Forgiveness isn't a natural process, friend. It's a supernatural process. And you cannot perform a supernatural process with natural ability. You can't do it. This is another reason why. You need to open up your heart and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins so that he will then equip you with the ability to transcend the sins others have committed against you. Look, there's an old saying that goes keeping unforgiveness in your heart. It's like drinking poison, hoping someone else will die. If you want God to fashion your life into the plans he has for you, the first thing you need to do, friend, is you need to have a relationship with the potter. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you haven't, and maybe you don't, but you'd like to. You know, you can buy an autobiography or biography about any famous person. You can read all about them, and then you go to their house, knock on the door, and they say, who are you? You say, I'm your biggest fan. And they say, well, I don't know you. And you say, I know this about you, this about you, this about you. You say, well, you might know about me, but I don't know about you. Did you know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22, 23, a lot of people are going to say to me, uh, Lord, I didn't, didn't only call you Lord. I didn't I do miracles in your name, cast out demons in your name. And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't, because you did. Because the Bible tells us there's power in the name of Jesus. What he says is, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. So maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've known about God, maybe you grew up in the church but you don't know God. I want to give you an opportunity just to say yes to God. Invite Jesus into your heart. If that's you, I want to pray with you as I'm closing. I want to, I want to pray with you and then I want to speak to you one more time. If you're here this morning and you just want to say yes, God, I, I want my life, I want you to come into my life. Just raise your hand from where you are so I can see you and I'll pray with you from here. Is there anyone who would say yes to the Lord this morning? Is there? <clears throat> thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I see your hand. You can put your hand down. You can put your hand down. I see your hand in the back. You can put your hand down. Are there others? Is there anyone else? You want to say yes and ask Jesus into your heart to forgive you of your sins. Once more. Okay. Listen, if you raised your hand, I just want you to, I'm going to just pray. You make this prayer your prayer. It's, it's not the words. It's the attitude of your heart. And then I want to speak to you one more time, and then I'll turn it over to the pastor. You just pray, Lord, I confess to you that I have sinned. I, I have sinned, and I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for my sins. I thank you for that, and I ask you to come into my heart now. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to, be, to fulfill the plans you have for me. Help me to, to live my life for you. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, it's really important for you to share that with somebody. You tell the pastor. It's really important you get, you get plugged into a faith community where you can grow. You took a first step, but you need to take a second. And that's what the pastor is equipped for. He can help you with that. Now, let me, let me speak to you one more time, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to the pastor. <clears throat> you know, as I'm talking about the pain that pot goes through to be shaped and formed, the way life has scarred us, maybe you're sitting there, and in your mind, you're going back to a time when somebody hurt you, to a time when something scarred your life. Now listen, friend, it's not my intention to, to, to bring up painful memories for you, 
But it is my intention to bring you to a place where you can make the conscious decision to let that stuff go and go forward with your life. And if you're here this morning and, and you've had thoughts of a time when somebody hurt you, I genuinely believe that's the Holy Spirit showing you that this is an area of your life you need to bring closure to. It's time for you to let this thing go. It's time for you to forgive the people who hurt you. And understand it doesn't mean what they did is okay. It means you're releasing your responsibility for your vindication to the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're willing to say, yes, I want to just lay this down. I'm tired of carrying this. It's just take, drawing the life out of me. Put your hand up. I want to see you and I want to close in prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands back there. You can put them down. Are there others? Are there others? Don't, don't, if you're feeling a little tug of war in your heart, do it, don't do it. That, that's, a, that's a spiritual battle between God and the devil. Let God win in your life. Don't let your, your, your pride or your self-consciousness stand in the way. Thank you. Of an upraised hand? Thank you, thank you. Are there others who would say, I'm going to lay this down? Thank you. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you. Thank you for your courageous faith. Are there others? Are there others who would say, I'm going to lay it down. I'm choosing life today. Are there others? Okay, let's bow our hearts and let me pray. <clears throat> Father, I look out here and I, I saw the hands that were raised and you saw the lifetimes that, that those raised hands represented, God. You know the pain that, that these people have carried. You know the way their hearts have been wounded. You know the unforgiveness that has kept them bound to their past. The unforgiveness that has occluded them from walking in the fullness of the covenant blessing. Their hearts have been hard because of pain. And this morning, through an upraised hand, they've demonstrated through a courageous act of faith that they're going to release that pain, release that unforgiveness to you. And they're going to ask you to help them forgive the people who have hurt them and to walk in an attitude of forgiveness. God, show yourself strong on their behalf now. May they, may they feel that burden being lifted from them, God, as they surrender to You. May they feel You coming alongside them, buoying them up. Affirm them, God, that they're a good son, that they're a good daughter, that You know the pain that they've carried You. You've seen the tears they've cried. You've heard, you've heard every question, every time they've shouted, Why God? You've heard it. And You've brought them to this moment in time. And you have a future and a hope for them. And their unforgiveness has prevented them from going to the next level in their relationship with you. And this morning, they've raised their hand symbolically to say they're laying it down. It's over for them. They're now going to press on toward the mark of the prize, letting go of what lies behind. I pray when they step out of this building this morning, God, they'll just carry themselves lighter. The air will smell fresher. The sky will look bluer. The grass greener. And you'd give them a new vision for their life and their future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, if you, if you feel like you would like some individual prayer for something, then I'm available to pray with you. The pastor's available to pray with you after. So you can come and see us. Pastor, would you please come and close it now? Thank you, Michael. I think the potter's been at work this morning, and uh, I think he has much more work to do. Um, 
And that may be an overwhelming feeling. But if we look to him, the clay doesn't know what needs to happen, but the potter does. So we'll have to figure out together um, what the next steps are in this journey. And there is, uh, after we say the benediction, refreshments outside, you're welcome to enjoy of those. But feel free to linger here if you want to take a minute to be quiet with God, if you'd like um, myself or Michael to pray with you, or maybe you have a friend who you're more comfortable going to and asking to pray. We'll, we'll just take as much time as we need for those who want to continue to linger in the potter's house. Um, let's close, though, with this benediction, which is in the bottom of your yellow sheet. And let's say this to one another as a word of encouragement and hope. You ready? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the potter's hands.